With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Dose of Wicked. <laughs> you could agree to it. What do I say? Whatever you want. What's up, guys? Okay, there you go. I don't know what to say. Greeting done. Greeting is successfully done. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for your awkwardness. Let's go. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's do some updates here. So let's start off by apologizing for um, this week. Well, last week. Last week. Last week's little mishap where our episode was two days late. Just want to apologize profusely for my lack of preparation. We're so sorry. The disappointment I've given to my family. I'm sorry, Dad. Dad. You raised us better. You raised us better than this. I'm sorry. So disappointed. He's a Patreon. He's a Patreon member and he couldn't even get his weekly dose of Wicked. But anyway, I'm sorry. WTF. I know, I'm really sorry, but we both came down with this nasty crud, and I don't know, I think we sound fine now. Might still sound a little, like, nasty, but we're both on the mend. We're both doing much better. No worries. We're not spreading germs to each other. We record remotely, so I'm in my kitchen alone. I'm in my kitchen alone. Drinking away my sorrows. Also drinking away my sorrows with a white claw. And I'm drinking a Mike's Hard Lemonade Seltzer. Pineapple. That's how you get over the crud. But anyway, so I apologize. I was behind on editing, and then I got sick, and I normally do all of my editing at night after I put my children to bed, and I did just did not have the energy to stay up. I didn't have the energy to stay up all night and edit. And Sarah wouldn't let me. That's not true. You don't know how. Because you won't let me. Okay, but you're going you're gonna to edit our bonus episode. Speaking of, we just recorded our, a bonus episode for our Patreon, so if you're not a member of our Patreon, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked. Join in on the fun. We would love to introduce our new Patreon. Oh, my God. I forgot. We haven't introduced her yet. Yes. yes. Amanda. Woo-hoo. All right. So welcome. Welcome to the Patreon at the level of extraordinarily wicked. Weighing in at, I don't know how much you weigh. I'm just joking. We have <laughs> uh, so weird. Amanda McIntyre. Woo. 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 She joined us at the $10 level. Um, so, yeah. Welcome to Amanda. We greatly appreciate your support. I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, you've already received your custom thank you card and weekly dose of wicked sticker. But anyway, if you want to join in on the fun, you want to head on over to Patreon. We've got three tiers for you. We've got the moderately wicked at $5. We've got the awesomely wicked at $7. And we've got the extraordinarily wicked at $10. So head on over. You like what you see. Join in the podcast. I mean the Patreon, join in on the Patreon, 
and you can support us. We would really like to buy new microphones because quite honestly, these ones kind of suck. I got to edit out a lot of back noise and I feel like there's still a lot of it in there, but I'd also really like to get a boom mic so I can like pull it down and look real professional. But of course, that's not a necessity. I would also like a recording studio. I also would like a recording studio, but I think we need like a million, a million Patreon members before we can do that. But I don't need a, I don't need a studio, but if I could just get a new mic and maybe, I mean, my headphones are great. I got them at five below. My sister Ashley bought them for me. I don't know if you guys have met her. She's kind of cool. But anyway, my sister Ashley, the coolest, she's the coolest girl I know. I mean, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> she's she's okay. Anyway, she bought me these headphones at five below for $5.25, which is contradictory because it's five below and they cost more than $5, but I would really like better headphones as well. They'll do for now, but they kind of hurt my ears. Yeah, they're not the, me- the best, the most comfortable. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we talked about Patreon, so head on over. Uh, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can shoot us an email at weeklydoseofwicked at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked. Or you can just search weekly dose of wicked and we're the only ones that pop up. Um, we also post information on all of our episodes on Instagram. So if you're a visual learner such as myself and you want to see things, then you should head on over there and you will be able to see pictures we put pictures of our victims pictures of important evidence um you know anything we think that might be interesting for you to see along with the podcast what else we got is that it that's all we really got right i think that's it oh um but also if you like our podcast if you like what you're hearing can you just please go leave us a rating and a review and all right let's get into this case i'm ready ready to jump in ready to rumble let's get ready to talk about murder all right, I'm going to jump into this. All right, so I want to I want to preface this episode. Um, this episode is the story of the Holland family. So I want to go ahead and just do a little uh, trigger warning. Not a trigger warning, just a general warning. Um, this episode does contain the murder of children. And some people are very heavily affected by those types of cases. So if you are one of those people, I just want to let you know. That way you can maybe skip this episode or just be prepared for what's about to happen. Okay. I'm signing off. Goodbye. (laughs) Shut up. You are not signing off. (laughs) I just want to make sure anyone that listens has that information. It does make me sad though. I mean, it makes me sad as well, but I wanted to make sure our listeners had that information before we began. I didn't want to blindside anyone. All right. So to begin I found this case uh, on an episode of a little show I like to watch called Family Massacre. I just like to watch it in my free time. Why are you making that face? Can you hear the thunder? No. Okay. It's loud. I wish I could. I love thunder, but nope, can't hear it. I'm going to make our episode super creepy. No, you can't hear it, so it's not. <laughs> All right. So anyway. Uh, all right, we're gonna jump into it. So anyway, this murder took place in well, the case. I don't know why I keep saying like. I mean, it's obviously a murder. I've already told you it's a murder, but whatever. It took place in Corridon, Indiana. So Corridon is a really small community with a population of just over three thousand people. It's a farming community, um, and the crime rate there is very low. It's the kind of place where you don't lock your door at night or anytime like you just sleep with your doors unlocked i don't know that life because i've always locked my door but i'm also terrified of everything so as ashley so nicely pointed out you know say that 
that was a whole episode ago, and these people haven't heard that. That was, I was going to say, as Ashley liked to point out in our Patreon bonus episode. So, as we talked about our biggest fears, and you very rudely said I was afraid of everything and I'm a scaredy cat, which is not true. I'm not the one who was going to leave my children for dead when you thought an animal was after them. That's not true. I was not going to leave them for dead. They weren't listening they weren't because you have not taught them to listen. I'm sorry. Your fault, not mine. I actually, I actually have tried to teach them to listen. They're just feral children and they don't. So Your fault, not mine. I agree. They did not listen to you, but you still were going to leave them for dead. Oh, I was also going to say at that point, which is crazy. Oh, Indiana, where they don't lock their doors. I feel like 75% of true crime has held in Indiana. Oh, yes. I feel like Indiana is like crime, true crime central. But it also could just be because Crime Junkie is out of Indiana and they do a lot of Indiana cases. Maybe. What was that? <laughs> Thunder! <laughs> you were terrified. Because it lit up my whole apartment, my lights flickered, and there was a big crash. Okay, well, thunder doesn't light up your apartment. And Tyler said, okay, it was lightning and thunder. Okay, whatever. And Tyler said, wow, I could hear him on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, this is the kind of place where you don't lock your door at night. March 26th. What? I was literally like, right Oh. Tyler said, holy shit, whoa. Holy that was literally right there. It was right over there. Can you hear him? Yes. I heard the hair air pop. Holy shit, that scared me. All right, can I continue? Yes, play. All right, so anyway, this is the kind of place where you don't lock your doors at night, like you said. We already talked about that. But anyway, so on March 26, 2000, at 4.30 a.m., Kelly Holland placed a call to a local police department from his job in Louisville, Kentucky. And he asked that they could go do a welfare check on his wife because he couldn't get a hold of her and he was worried. To me, I think that that's weird. I don't care what shift my husband works. I'm not answering the phone at 4.30 in the morning. I don't think it was... I mean, maybe that was, like, normal for them. Though. I mean, obviously, it must have been normal for them, but I just think it's super strange that at 4.30 a.m., he's like, oh, I've been trying to get a hold of my wife all night, and she won't answer. I don't care how much money you make. I'm not answering your phone call in the middle of the night unless... I mean, if it's, like, an emergency, but it just seems like he was just calling to, like, shoot the shit, and I'm not about that. I don't know. If it was 4.30 in the morning and uh, my husband was not home, I wouldn't be sleeping anyway, so I'd probably answer the phone. Okay, well, he works third shift, so this, was on, this wasn't abnormal for them. This was his normal schedule, but whatever. Um, I did also kind of think it was weird that his job was in Louisville, Kentucky, and he lived in Cordon, Indiana, but apparently that also wasn't that weird. I looked it up. It's only about a 30-minute drive. So anyway, um, Officer Gary Gilly reported to the home, and upon arrival, he saw that the storm door was ajar and that the front door was left wide open. He also noticed that there were smoke stains on the top of the doorframe, as well as on the gutter above the porch, which just broke my heart that the gutter was stained. You're such a loser. <laughs> oh, he said that the smell of gasoline was overwhelming and that everything in the house was covered with like a thick black soot. There was even a thick cloud of like black smoke that was descending like two feet down from the ceiling. So it was obvious to him that there was some sort of a fire in the house. But it was not currently on fire. The fire had went out. So at this point, I want to skip ahead just a little bit. I want to preface this with, uh, just for those who this might affect. The next person to arrive on the scene was Sergeant Brian Byrne. And he said that Officer Gilly was this really hard guy. He'd served in Vietnam. He was not easily shaken. But that when Officer Gilly exited the home, he was visibly pale. 
and that you could see how upset he was on his face. Like he was really just devastated by what was inside of the home. So I just want to preface that before we talk about what was in the home. So um, Sergeant Brian said, literally when Officer Gilly exited the home, he looked at him and he said, crime scene, detectives, coroner. That's it. He wasn't even speaking in full sentences. That's how affected he was by what he found inside. It does not sound good. That's just a little warning. Back to where we were. Officer Gilly entered the home. He could tell there's been a fire. Um, he goes ahead and starts heading up the stairs. And pretty quickly, he comes across a woman. She's slumped over uh, in the doorway. There's blood all over her face. And she is covered in soot. And it's obvious that she's deceased. So at this point, he thinks this could possibly be a crime scene. Because uh, there was blood on her face. It's not like she died of, you know, I mean, there was blood. So most likely something happened to her, whatever. He decides to continue working through the upstairs of the home, uh, being very careful not to disturb anything that could be seen as evidence. So he steps over her body. He then enters the master bedroom where he comes across another female who is lying in bed. She's also deceased. He then enters another bedroom where he comes across a little girl lying peacefully in her bed, covered in soot. She's also deceased. Lastly, he enters the third bedroom of the home. This is where he really got affected. Um, in this bedroom, he found a little boy. The little boy was on the floor in between the bed and the wall. And the wall that was covered in soot, there were claw marks and little handprints showing that the little boy had struggled and fought for his life trying to escape the smoke that was filling his lungs and his bedroom. Ultimately, though, he was not able to get out of the house in time. So sad. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It, Officer Gilly said that to this day, when he thinks about that call, he gets cold chills uh, because of the scene that he witnessed in that little boy's bedroom. That little boy gave me chills. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's awful. He said that in all of his life experiences, to this day, he has never witnessed anything of, anything else like that, and that he hopes that he never experiences anything like that again. Well, I don't blame him. So upon exiting the house, he has that interaction with Sergeant Brian Byrne. Sergeant Brian Byrne goes ahead and calls in everybody that Officer Gilly told him to call in. He has dispatch at the Sheriff's Department, send out the detectives, the coroner, and the fire department. They also go ahead and call in the state police, who send their own detectives out to help with the investigation. Once the paramedics enter the home, they're able to deduce that the two small children had actually died of smoke inhalation, which we pretty much already knew since the little boy fought to get out of the bedroom. He clearly was not deceased prior to the fire being started. Uh, and the two adult female victims had died of gunshot wounds to the head. So now they know for certain that this was a murder investigation and not just an excellent house fire. Around this time, though, a blue car comes flying in the driveway and a man jumps out and tries to run into the house. And this man was Kelly Holland. Um, he's trying to fight his way in, but obviously the officers are holding him back. And he just keeps fighting through saying like, that's my family. That's my family. Let me in. He's clearly distraught. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, Kelly had worked third shift at the Kroger Distribution Center in Louisville, Kentucky, which was just a quick 30-minute drive from the family's home in Cordon, Indiana. He had called the Sheriff's Department and asked for a welfare check since he had tried to call his wife numerous times and wasn't getting an answer. And when he hadn't heard back from her, um, or when he hadn't heard back from the welfare check, he ended up just getting so worried that he just left work and came home. The officers informed him that all members inside of the house were deceased. And at that point, Kelly dropped to his hands and knees, and he immediately just started retching and vomiting on the porch. Uh, the officers on the scene said that this was extremely hard for them to watch, and that no one can imagine the feeling of losing your entire family in one night like this man just had. Gotta be awful. 
Right. So now that Kelly's home, the detectives are able to identify the victims, obviously, because Kelly's able to tell them who was in the home. So the younger adult female found in the master bedroom was Kelly's wife, Summer Holland. She was just 22 years old. The other older adult female found slumped in the doorway was Summer's mother, Donna Daly. And the children were Dylan, age four, and Marissa, age three. So I think as if it wasn't bad enough, like what that little boy went through, he was only four years old. I mean, not that it would make it any better if he was like seven or eight, but. No, but at four, he's just a little baby. Like when I heard it, right, exactly. Like he's a baby. He's four. And Marissa was three. I mean, thankfully, at least Marissa does not appear to have woken up. She appears to have been asleep and died in her sleep. So she did not suffer, but it's obvious that Dylan did. And that's just heartbreaking. Dorinda Aunt Riley is Summer's sister and Donna's daughter. She recalls her mother being caring, hardworking, supportive, everything a mother should be. She recalls Summer as being spunky and mischievous. Uh, growing up, she said she was a firecracker. Summer and her mom, Donna, were really close. Uh, they were always together. Dorinda recalls the children, Dylan and Marissa, as just being precious little children. She said Dylan was always a goofball, smiling brightly and sticking his tongue out and just always making everyone laugh. Marissa was just a beautiful little girl. Uh, they all used to refer to her as a china doll because she had such a soft complexion with dark eyes and dark hair, and she was always smiling. Uh, but she also had an attitude like her mama. So when Summer worked, uh, her mom Donna would watch the kids for her. And honestly, everyone said it was really like the two women raised the kids together. She had a really good support with her mom Donna, Summer did. Um, so the children were actually Summers from a previous relationship. They were not actually Kelly Holland's children. Uh, but the d- detectives commented on this later and said initially they hadn't realized that the children weren't Kelly's because the way that he spoke of them and like how affected he was and how other people in their life spoke of the family, it never even dawned on them that the children weren't his and that he was actually their stepfather because he just adored them that much. Everything a stepfather should be. Yes. So Kelly and Summer had gotten married just four months prior to this. So sad. I don't like this story. I'm tapping out. No, you're not. So everyone said they were head over heels in love. Um, And they also said that Kelly just adored those children and that he was the kind of man who just loved his family. Like his entire life was his family. That afternoon, detectives searched the house and they found two nine millimeter shell casings, as well as evidence of a pour pattern on the floor. The accelerant was used in the home. It was a path from the staircase to the front door. They also came to the conclusion that the reason why the house had not burnt completely is because what had happened is the fire sucked all the oxygen out of the home and then essentially it just extinguished itself. During their investigation, they also found out that the night before all of this had happened, Summer Holland had actually called the Harrison County Sheriff's Department and made a complaint against her neighbors just 24 hours before this call came in. Not even 24 hours before this call came in. She did not feel safe, and she had been having issues with them. So the reason why she had called this day specifically, though, is because the neighbors were shooting guns towards her house, and they had actually shot through the siding of her house. Oh, lovely neighbors. Yeah, so she was concerned for her safety as well as the safety of her children, as she should have been. So obviously the sheriff department needs to talk to these neighbors. This was obviously the only lead. Um, But first, before they do that, they need to rule out Kelly Holland because why? Of course, it's always the husband. Because it's always the husband. So 
Uh, Detective Gibson and Detective Clemens went to Kelly Holland's mother's house to question him, which is where he was staying since, you know, his house had been lit on fire. Uh, and also his whole family had just been murdered in it, so I'm sure he didn't want to stay there. But anyway, uh, they... They probably couldn't. The crime scene. Well, I am aware, but whatever. I'm just saying. So both detectives recall how emotional the interview was with Kelly was. His wife, mother-in-law, and stepchildren had all just been murdered. And they both said that it was really difficult to not have, like, not feel Kelly's heartache as they were interviewing him. But as officers, they had to try to, like, detach themselves from their feelings so that they could do their jobs. And right now, they just needed to make sure they could clear Kelly of any involvement. So since there were fire accelerants involved in the fire, they did ask Kelly for his clothing from the night before to test for any remnants. And he willingly gave those to them. Uh, they asked if he knew of anyone who'd want to hurt his family. And he did mention the issues with the neighbor or with the neighbors. But other than that, he didn't really have any information for the detectives. They also asked Kelly if he owned or possessed a firearm. Kelly said that he did not have any access to a firearm. They asked where he was at the time of the murders. And he told them that he was at work in Louisville, Kentucky and his alibi held tight. Kelly Holland was really an all around good guy. He was clean cut, soft spoken, Worked hard to provide for his wife and stepchildren. He was a veteran, and he was still active at the time in the Army Reserves. He'd never been a troublemaker. Uh, he had no kind of record other than a single speeding ticket. In high school, he'd been both a football player and a wrestler. He was really well-liked in the community, and this was just really a devastating misfortune. Even the lead prosecutor of Harrison County at the time told Detective Gibson, you guys need to find out who did this to this family because it wasn't Kelly. He said he had coached him in Little League as a kid and that he knew him well and that Kelly just was not capable of committing this type of crime. So it's important that they rule him out and move on. And the detectives have no reason to believe, or they don't have any reason not to believe Kelly. But just to be sure, they decide to go on down to his place of employment so that they can rule him out and continue their investigation. So they talk to Kelly's supervisor. And Kelly's supervisor verifies his work schedule and his alibi checks out. So now they can move on. Like he's not involved. He was at work. He doesn't have a firearm. There's no way he did this. All right. So essentially the whole issue with the neighbors, we go back to that. The whole issue with the neighbors started because the neighbors were being loud. They had loud music playing. They drove loud vehicles. They were just all around rowdy people. And then they began shooting their guns. And summer sister Dorinda said, Summer was not the kind of person who was just going to keep her mouth shut. So Summer went outside and she yelled down and told them they needed to stop shooting towards her house. And that made them angry. So then they began shooting directly at her house. And that's how they hit the siding. So essentially they were just shooting like in the direction of her home. Obviously her neighbors made her feel very unsafe as I think it would literally anybody. And I don't think that's unreasonable. She felt unsafe. Her neighbors were shooting gun, a gun directly at her house into her siding. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Pretty crappy neighbors. Yeah, I agree. And I thought it was crazy they didn't do anything about it. I mean, we haven't got to that point yet, but just wait and see how the police handle this. Isn't it like against the law? To shoot within 300 feet of a house is, I mean, in North Carolina anyway, I would think it's that way everywhere, but. Right. I don't know. I mean, definitely against the law to shoot someone's house, but I feel like to shoot near someone's house is also against the law. Like you can't shoot in like neighborhoods. Well, I don't think this was a neighborhood because I think it was like a rural area. So it was probably like more similar to like where I live where there's like not really a lot of people around. Maybe. You know what I mean? But I still think that the house was obviously within 300 feet. So whatever. Regardless, Summer was nervous. So she ended up calling her mom, Donna. 
She asked if her mom would come stay with her since Kelly was at work and that she was nervous to be alone with the kids while these neighbors were causing ruckus. So that's why Donna was at her house. Um, The sheriff ended up coming out and speaking to the neighbors. They were having a bonfire in the woods. So they walked down and told them, you know, they needed to be more respectful. They needed to quiet down. And that if they had to come back out there, then it was going to be an issue. But that's all they did. And to me, that's absolute bull squash. Yeah, that's cuckoo bananas. Yeah, it's insane. So they didn't do anything, though. So anyway, the neighbors, obviously, though, this pissed the neighbors off. Like, they were irate that someone would call the police on them, let alone someone that had just moved into the neighborhood. Her and Kelly had only been married four months. How dare she call the cops on someone breaking the law? Well, yeah, I mean, they were mad about it, you know? So, anyway, they were upset about it. Whatever. They voiced their they voiced their anger to the sheriff's department, but the sheriff's department ended up leaving, and they didn't receive any more calls about the rowdy neighbors, so all was well. Obviously, now, though, they have four homicides on their hands. So all is not well. Right, but at the time, all was well, so they just left. No big deal. You want to shoot your neighbor's siding? Have fun, buddy. Do what you want to do. Anyway, whatever. Doesn't matter. They bring him in for questioning. The neighbors said, I mean, the neighbors were like, yeah, we did have a bonfire. Uh, we were partying in the woods. And that Summer did call the cops on them, and that it didn't make them happy. They weren't happy about it. But they said that after the cops came, nobody made any type of contact with the Holland family. And that everyone was gone by midnight. They ran the fingerprints of these neighbors. They also checked for any outstanding warrants, but there wasn't anything on the neighbors. So they couldn't hold them. They had to let them go. So they did keep those potential suspects, but they did need to move on with the investigation. Keep things rolling. Uh, Their next step was to canvas the neighborhood to see if anyone had seen anything suspicious, maybe a strange car or heard, you know, the gunshots. But unfortunately... They didn't come up with anything in the neighborhood. As the week goes on, there isn't really a lot of movement in the case. But a few days later, some court records surface. And these court records show proof that Summer had a protective order against an ex-boyfriend. And that there could have possibly been some jealousy around Kelly and Summer marrying. So they start to investigate that lead. Um, At this point, it's March 30th, 2000. So it's been four days after the murders. I just realized, though, this case and the one I did for the bonus episode are literally like days apart. Really? Yeah, this was March 26th or whatever, and the bonus episode was April 3rd of the same year. Oh, yeah. Like, it's literally like less than a week apart. That's kind of crazy. I didn't even realize that. Okay, sorry. That's besides the point. Let me just plug the Patreon again. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so at this point, it's March 30th, 2000. It's been four days after the murders, and they're ready to have the funerals. On the day of the funerals, there was a three and a half mile processional from the service to the gravesite, and all four victims were buried together. Donna was on one side. If you're looking at the gravesite, if you're looking at it, Donna was on the left, followed by Dylan, and then Marissa, and then Summer was on the right. So the kids were in between the two women who had raised them. Sweet. And they all shared one big tombstone. Um, I did find it interesting, though, that on the tombstone, Summer's headstone says Summer Daily, and that's her maiden name. So I don't know what the reasoning is for that. Like, if she was just a slacker like me and she didn't change her name, because, you know, I was married for five years before I changed my last name. Have you changed yours? Negative. Didn't think so. And you've been married for? Three months. Oh, my God. May, April, May, June, July. This is your, okay, yeah, three months. Okay, but I was thinking, August is not my fault. This is what has occurred. 
I put Tyler in charge of going to the courthouse to get me a certified copy of her marriage license. Because I don't want to do that. Okay. I got it. So you're not going to change your name. Got it. So I told him. He, he's the one that insists I change my name. So I told him that he has to go to the courthouse and get a certified copy. Has he done that? No. I didn't figure it out. I'm refusing to go to the courthouse to get, or not the courthouse, the Register of Deeds, wherever you go. Register of Deeds, yep. But that's in Winston-Salem, and I don't want to do that. I understand. All right, well, I don't know, though, if the reasoning for that, though, is that she didn't change her name. They'd only been married four months, so maybe she hadn't changed her name yet. Maybe. I don't know what the reasoning is. I just, that stood out to me. Like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, a little weird. But she probably just hadn't changed her name yet. I mean, they'd only been married four months. Even if she started, like, the day they got their marriage license, I mean, it still takes months to change your name. It literally takes one day, Ashley. I changed my name in a single day. Don't you have to, like, go to Social Security, get your name changed on there? Yeah, you have to apply. You have to apply for your Social Security, like, at Social Security office first. And then they issue a new social. And then wait for it to come back, right? No, they give you a letter to take to DMV. Oh, I thought you had to wait until you got your new social security card. And once you got the social security card, then you went to DMV. No, I did it all on the same day. I thought it was a very, very long process. Nah, I did all. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but no, it only took a day. Well, now you have to have appointments to all of those places, so... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay, that's besides the point. I just thought it was weird that her tombstone said summer. I saw it and I was like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning was. It just stuck out to me. So the day of the funeral, they do end up questioning that ex-boyfriend, but they're able to conclude pretty immediately he didn't have anything to do with this. So he must have had a pretty solid alibi. I don't know. But they're like, yeah, no, not, not our guy. So now we're back to square one. The investigation has stalled and it's looking like they're not going to get any other leads. And then they get a call. Oh, this call is going to change. It's going to change your mind. Do you want to guess what the call is? Do you want to guess what this lead is? I don't have a guess. You've ruined my, you ruined my bonus episode. So I thought maybe you don't ruin my regular episode too. Oh my gosh. Your bonus episode was predictable. I'm sorry. Okay. So you don't want to guess what this lead is? No, I got nothing. All right. So they get a call. It's from a guardsman. From the National Guard in Kentucky, where Kelly Holland is also a guardsman with the reserve. The guardsman calls and says that he saw the news about the Holland family, and he has information about Kelly that's a little concerning. He told the detectives that just two days prior to the murders, he loaned Kelly a firearm. Ooh. So, Kelly told the police that... Oh, I'm sorry, no. Kelly told the guardsman that he was friends with that there were wild dogs roaming the neighborhood and he wanted to protect his family from them. So he needed to be a gun so he could shoot the wild dogs. Shoots dogs, that's so mean. I mean, I'm assuming wild dogs, he meant like coyotes or like... I think if he meant coyotes, he would say coyotes. Coyotes are not dogs. They are dogs. They're in the dog family, but they're not dogs. Okay, but... A wild dog. I would say a wild dog is just like a dog that doesn't have a home. No. Wild dogs include wolves, foxes, jackals, coyotes, gray wolves, red wolves, arctic foxes, kit foxes, animal wild dog, and golden jackals. So. Well, I think you should have used the correct name. Not wild dog. (laughs) 
I think that he probably didn't know what kind of wild dogs they were. But when he said wild dogs, I immediately went to like coyotes and wolves. That's what I thought. Maybe in Indiana, they just call them wild dogs. I don't know. He wasn't out there shooting poodles, though. I went to like a sad little puppy without a home. No, he was not shooting like poodles and bulldogs and whatever. No, I think he was shooting. I, I'm thinking the guardsman was like, oh, he probably has wolves. I mean, they're out in Indiana. I don't know. It's a rural area. Okay. There. Fun fact. My second, my second most irrational fear is wolves. At least you say it correctly now. I'm terrified of them. I do say it correctly now. <laughs> Shut up. I no longer call them wolves. Like I did until I was like 13 years old. Okay. <laughs> 13? I think you were like 18. No, I was not. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, so now the detectives know that Kelly has been lying to them. So now they have to go back to that. Not good, Kelly. Yeah, that's not good, Kelly. Um, so what they do is they have the guardsmen call Kelly and obviously they record it. Obviously. And he asked Kelly about the firearm that he had loaned him. And Kelly was like, yeah, I've still got it. So now they have him on a recorded line admitting, admitting, admitting that he had access to the gun. So the owner of the gun is able to give them some samples of ammunition that he has on hand so they can compare the ammunition to the shell casing that were found on the seat. Uh, at this time, the fire marshal is also conducting their investigation into the fire. Part of the investigation was having canines sniff for accelerants on Kelly Holland's clothing. So they put his clothes into separate piles, like one shoe, one shoe, shirt, underwear, pants, you know, all separate from each other. The dogs hit on both of his shoes as well as his coveralls. So now not only does he have a gun, he also has accelerants on his clothing obviously it's not looking good for kelly uh the sheriff department sends the shell casings from the crime scene along with the bullets they obtained from the guardsman who loaned kelly the gun off to the indiana state crime lab to be tested and they come back as a match so now we have substantial evidence against kelly holland but they can't figure out a motive. Like, they can't figure out why he would do this. He was happy, and everyone said he was happy. Like, there's no reason why he would want to just kill his whole family. So they, up, they end up obtaining a search warrant for the residence of Kelly Holland, which I'm assuming at this time is still his mother's house. They want to try and locate that firearm, but unfortunately, they can't find it. Uh, they decide they need to check his alibi out again. So they start questioning Kelly's coworkers. And this is where the case takes another turn. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You remember all those wonderful, shining things everyone had to say about Kelly? Right. How great he was. His co-workers do not agree with that. So his co-workers describe Kelly Holland completely different than how everyone else described him. Um, they say that Kelly is moody and he can be grumpy at times. They also say that you'd never know what version of him you're going to get. That one day he is short and he doesn't want to talk. He's snapping at you and biting your head off. And then the next day he's your best friend talking your ear off. He's in a great mood. Uh, a, co a few co-workers also said that Kelly had confided in them that he thought that Summer was having an affair. 
And one of them said that Kelly told him he just had to go home from work one night in the middle of the shift so we could catch her in the act. Hmm. So one of the detectives knew one of the coworkers personally. And so he asked him, he's like, hey, man, you know, like, is there any way that someone could sneak out of here for like an hour or two undetected, like mid shift? And the guy was like, I mean, it would depend on what job they're doing. So they end up looking at Kelly's job description. And it turns out uh, the night of the murders that Kelly was not doing his normal job. He was doing what they call a porter. So essentially, he was just like going around cleaning up messes around the warehouse. So there was like many long periods of time that night where Kelly was cleaning up messes and that no one had seen him. So that being said, he easily could have snuck out the back loading docks undetected and then snuck back in without anyone even noticing. So now they have physical evidence tying him to the crime. They also have the opportunity. Um, so at this time, they ask Kelly if he'll take a polygraph, and he agrees, which we all know polygraphs are not admissible in court. Right, don't do that, dude. It doesn't matter, though. He takes a polygraph. I mean, go ahead and do it, dude, because, I mean, we know he's guilty at this point. But if, if for some reason, you're being accused of a crime you didn't do, polygraphs are not admissible in court. There's no point in doing them. We don't know he did it at this point. Ashley, the bullets match the gun, and he has accelerants on his pants. Okay, it's looking likely, but we don't know that he did anything. You're right. We don't know, but he, I mean, it's pretty obvious that something went down. You're jumping the gun. Okay. Anyway, whatever. I think everyone was agreeing with me. They were all thinking the same thing. Whatever. So the hands are taking the polygraph. The polygraph te- technician comes out and he tells the detective that in his professional opinion, Kelly failed every single question pertaining to the Holland home and the murder of his family. So Kelly Holland is now the not looking good. No, he's now the lead suspect. Um, the detectives laid out for him and they let him know he failed the polygraph test. He assures them that he told the truth and the polygraph was wrong, but play devil's advocate here. It's possible. Lie detectors are admissible in court because they really can't be trust. I mean, like you can't, they're not solid. They're not solid evidence. It's a lot of factors into the polygraph. So it could have just been that he was extremely emotionally distraught by the fact that his entire family had just been murdered. Right. Cause that's like what they pick up on. Right. It's like, uh, Kind of like your nerves and your jitters and... I'll be honest. I don't know what in the heck they pick up on. I really have no idea what a polygraph picks up on. I just know that it tells if you're lying or not. They use them on Maury. <laughs> well, Maury is fake. Don't ever speak that way again about Maury again. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Okay, whatever. Maury is fake. No, shut your mouth. All right, so... Um, so he assures them that he's telling the truth, the polygraph's wrong. Um, but it's then that they tell him about the canines hitting on literally all of his clothing for accelerants. But it's okay because he actually has an explanation for that. He and Summer were planning on doing yard work the next day, and on his way to work, he stopped to get gas. But all he had to put the gas in was some old Windex containers. What what that what's that face for Ashley? You don't put gas in Windex containers? No, that is does not sound safe to me. No, no, I agree. But anyway, that's all he had. He had like some old. It was like big jugs, like big jugs of Windex. He had some empty big Windex Windex jugs. So he filled those up, 
And when he was doing that, he ended up splashing gas on himself, and that's why the dogs hit. And that would make sense because you don't put gas in Windex containers. I agree. Um, But they were like, okay, well, where are the containers of gas then? And he's like, oh, well, (laughs) the funny thing is, is that they were really smelly. The fumes were really strong and it just got too strong in the car. So I pulled over on the side of the interstate and I just left the gas there. And I was going to pick it up on my way back home from work, but, you know, everything happened. So I was in a rush. I didn't end up going back and getting them. Well, number one there, Kelly, you don't put gas in your car. Right. In enclosed spaces. Right. Number two, you never put gas inside of a un... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say registered, but that's not the right word. Like an unrated container. And you don't just leave your gas on the side of the road and come back right. for it later. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That was what got me. He was like, oh, well, I actually left it on the side of the road. So the detective sends state troopers out to check the highway where Kelly claims he left the gas, but it's obviously it's not there. Surprise, surprise. So just to play devil's advocate again, though, I mean, it's not shocking to me if he left gas on the side of the road that it would be gone. Like at this point, it's been like five days. Do they not have like highway cleanup or people that just pick random stuff up on the side of the road? I mean, my husband picks stuff up on the side of the road all the time. That's because your husband's weird. One time we were driving down 85 and he just stopped and picked up a whole bunch of logs. Again, he's weird. Cut them up for firewood. I have never once picked anything up off the side of the road. Never in my life. Okay, well, Jacob does it pretty regularly. Because he's weird. Uh, I mean, whatever. But I'm just saying, if he left these multiple containers of gas on the side of the road, it doesn't shock me that someone would have picked him up. I mean, especially not like a cleanup crew. Like... Maybe your average Joe wouldn't come pick up large Windex containers, but cleanup crews would. Do they not have, like, inmates cleaning up their highways? I don't know. I mean, we do. I don't know. I think that's probably normal. We got inmates doing all kinds of stuff. We got inmates running the stop signs at freaking road construction. (laughs) So, I don't know, but whatever. At this point, the detectives tell Kelly everything they have on them. And he says, I don't want to be interviewed anymore. I just want to go home. So Detective Clements and Detective Gibson agree to take Kelly home. On the drive, Detective Clemens is driving. Kelly is in the front passenger seat and Detective Gibson is in the back. And all of a sudden, Kelly says, if they'll just pull the car over, he'll tell them what happened. Obviously, they pull the car over on the side of the interstate. Um, Kelly's not under arrest, so they go ahead and advise him of his rights again. And Kelly tells them that he did go home in the middle of the sh- of a shift. And he went home with plans to commit suicide. So when he got home that night, he kneeled beside Summer in bed. And Summer had admitted to him that she was very unhappy in their marriage and that she had been having an extramarital affair. At this time, he brought the gun up. And it accidentally went off and shot and killed Summer. Accidentally. Yeah, accidentally. He brought the gun up to shoot himself. It went off, shot Summer. Summer's mother, Donna, heard the gunshot, and she came rushing into the room, confronting Kelly, and he shot Donna. He doesn't remember actually shooting her, but he does remember the gun going off, and he remembers her hitting the floor. But at this point, the children were fine. They were still sleeping in their beds. 
He obviously does not want to be the one to call into the police to tell them that he just shot his wife and mother-in-law. So he hatches a new plan. Um, he pours gasoline in the doorway, and he lights the, the doorway of the house on fire. He thinks that it's just enough fire that the neighbors will see it, and they'll call the fire department, but that it's not enough fire to burn down the whole house. So that way he can, you know, the fire department will be notified. There's a fire. They'll come get the kids out, and the kids will be safe, and he doesn't have to admit that he just killed his wife. Here's a crazy thought. He could call the cops himself. And tell himself? And not in danger. Yes! He shouldn't have shot his wife! I mean, I agree. I'm not saying I don't agree. I just don't see... A stupid plan, Kelly. Stupid I mean, plan. I agree it's a really stupid plan, but it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I was like, obviously he shouldn't have shot his wife and his mother-in-law, but to me it kind of seemed like he didn't want the kids to die. Like, he was actually trying to... Like, in his crazy... Mental state, he was like, how can I get the kids out of the house without admitting that I killed my wife? I'll light the doorway on fire. The neighbors will see the house is on fire. They'll call the fire department. They'll get the kids out. All is well in the world. But that didn't happen because all the neighbors were asleep and nobody saw that the house was on fire. Right, because it was the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we know that no one saw the fire. Obviously, it was the middle of the night, so nobody called it in. Kelly admitted that he withheld the information about the firearm because he knew that it didn't look good. I mean, obviously, because you used it to shoot your wife. Uh, <laughs> the man he borrowed the gun from, um, oh, he, but he said, like, the man that he borrowed the gun from, he didn't have anything to do with it. He did not know anything about the crime. He did not give Kelly the gun for him to commit the crime. Like, he wanted to make sure that his friend that gave him the gun was, like, in the clear. He was like, he had nothing to do with this. So they ask Kelly where the gun is, and Kelly tells them that he threw it out the window of his car into the Ohio River on his way back to work. At this point, they go ahead and arrest Kelly. And it's only been five days since the murders. So I thought that was pretty quick. But I mean, it sounds like not like it wasn't like a master plan. Like it was kind of a more of an accident. So it would make sense that he would crack pretty fast. It would make sense, but we'll just continue in the story. Oh, the story's not over. No, we're not done. No. So this was shocking to pretty much everyone. Kelly and Summer had only been together a year at this point. They'd only been together, like, from start to finish a year, and only been married four months. So the outside world, they were still very much in the honeymoon phase, and they were very much, and they were, you know, madly in love. Also, Kelly doesn't come across as the kind of man who could kill his whole family in such a cold and heartless way, or really at all. I mean, to me, like you said, at this point, it kind of seems like it was an accident. I mean, yes, obviously, shooting the mother-in-law was not accidental, but it may have been like he was in a blackout state. And then he lit the house on fire trying to save the children, which backfired. It doesn't really seem that cold to me at this point. I don't know. Anyway, on April 17, 2000, Kelly makes his first court appearance. So it's been like three weeks. He's already in court. Um, Summer's family attends and they are all sobbing, holding pictures of the four victims. And this is the first time that they've seen Kelly Holland since his admission of guilt because he's been in jail all along, unable to post bail. <sighs> so they brought the pictures because they wanted him to hurt like they were. But Dorinda said that all they got out of Kelly was blank looks and that he did not shed a single tear for his family. 
Kelly Holland pled not guilty. The prosecutor decided that he's going to go for capital murder charges. He does this in hopes that this will apply pressure to Kelly to plead guilty. Um, the court proceedings drag out. There are multiple cancellations and reschedulings. But finally, one year later, there is a court date. And Kelly Holland shocks everyone at this court date by changing his plea to guilty and testifying about the murders in court. So Kelly had accepted a plea deal in exchange for them removing the, be- the death penalty as an option. He would be given life without the possibility of parole. But as part of the deal, he had to, in his own words, address the court and tell them why he had committed these heinous murders. All right. So this is where it wasn't a hard enough case anyway. This is where, like, my bones really chilled. Like, I really, this really disturbed me. You know that I'm really, okay, your favorite killer, serial killer is picked him. I don't have a favorite serial killer because I'm not a sociopath, but... I am infatuated with Family Annihilators. Yes. Yes, you are. Because they always come across as so perfect. And then they just snap and kill their whole families. But normally, normally, I mean, there's like four different types of Family Annihilators, and we could get all into that, but that's not necessary. But normally, though, the main reason for Family Annihilators are, there's two main reasons. One of them is like financial hardship. Like they've gotten them their family into some sort of awful financial situation and they don't see any way out of it. So in their crazy messed up mind, they think the best option is to kill them all. Like that's like one of the number one reasons for family annihilators. Another one is like honor killings where somebody in the family has embarrassed the family beyond belief. And so they, you know, execute or kill whatever they kill their entire family because of the embarrassment. Like those are the two main reasons. Okay. Both horrible reasons, but okay. I mean, both horrible reasons, but okay. Every once in a while, you get like a case that does not fit one of the the main four reasons. I also don't do family annihilators because kids, I don't like. I don't like kids dying. As much as I, you know, not a huge fan of kids, I don't want to listen to them die. I understand. All right. Well, let's just continue here. But I just wanted to tell you like that. This is the part that really got me. Um, of the entire thing, like this is this is what got me, and you will see why in just a moment. Kelly Holland takes a stand in the courtroom, goes silent. He begins by telling everyone what was going on leading up to the murders. He tells them that he and Summer had not been married long, but they were already suffering in their marriage and they had financial issues. He was working himself to death, trying to provide for his wife and her two kids. Um, he claims that he had social anxiety. He also has OCD and is on Paxil for his depression. He and Summer were planning to have a baby of their own, but in order to do that, he had to stop taking his Paxil. I did look into this. Apparently, Paxil does decrease fertility in males. He had to stop taking his antidepressants, and he and Summer hatched a plan that he was going to come home in the middle of the night on a shift for them to do the deed, have coitus, if you will. Uh, to me, I think that that's really weird. Because Donna was at their house. But he says that they had planned he was going to come home in the middle of the night. They were going to do it. They were going to try and make a baby. Um, so anyway, he comes home in the he comes home mid-shift for his late night rendezvous. When he gets home, though, he is not feeling in the mood whatsoever. He's actually full of anger. 
because he walks in and the house is a freaking mess. There are dirty dishes everywhere. Is Tyler talking? Is that the TV? The TV. All of a sudden, it was like airplay, and it started playing Pawn Stars. I have no idea. I just texted him. I was hoping he would come shut it off. He's apparently not going to, so okay. hold on. Oh, it went away. Okay. Someone's controlling my TV. Is it now Tyler? I don't know. He'll text me back. All right, so anyway. Um, when he gets home, he doesn't, he is not in the mood. He's actually full of anger, full of rage. Uh, he walks in and the house is a freaking mess. There are dirty dishes everywhere. Oh, that you're worried that your husband's going to kill you? I understand. Yeah. Okay. This really gave me an unsettling feeling in my belly. Okay. So there are dirty dishes everywhere. The cupboards are open. There are toys all over the floor. Um, and he is just pissed off because he works so hard for his family and his wife can't even keep their house clean. He heads upstairs and he wakes Summer up and they go back and forth arguing about the messy house and he's so mad at her, he shoots her. He then heard Donna coming down the hallway and so he shot her. He then lit the house on fire. But he says that the reason he was so angry was because Summer had told him that she was having an affair just days before the murder. So he was already angry. He was already angry, and then the house was messy. How dare she have a messy house? She deserved to die. Okay, he was already angry, and she was having an affair, but he came home in the middle of his shift for a late-night rendezvous to make a baby. Right, yeah, then I forgot about that part. <laughs> that doesn't make like, sense at all. That's the part that got me. And the judge also does not buy this account of what happened at all. And he is angry at Kelly's testimony. He tells Kelly Holland that he planned to kill his wife when he borrowed that gun two days before. And that it, this was not a heat of the moment killing. Um, there was premeditation there. That's He tells him, you got that gun from your friend two days prior so you could kill your wife. Kelly Holland was convicted of four counts of homicide and one count of arson and was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. He is currently serving his sentence in the Indiana State Prison in Michigan City, Indiana. Pretty much everyone who took any part in this case says that Kelly Holland is an evil, selfish man, and they're glad that he will never be a free man. And that's it. That's the end of that story. I didn't like it. I didn't think you would. I don't like family annihilators. I don't like kids being killed. And I don't like Kelly. I gotta tell you, though, I had you, though, because you did not think he did it. No. I didn't. He fooled you. You know why? Because that's what those family annihilators do. Well, you know, actually, I have heard this one before. Have I, you? Maybe I haven't, but I think I've heard you tell me about it before. Because Yeah, I told you about it like three weeks ago. <laughs> you were like, I heard about this guy that killed his wife because the house was messy. That's what's going to happen to me one day. Jacob's going to kill me because the house is messy. That's not what I said. I said... I found this case about this man who killed his wife because he came home and the house was a mess. Isn't that terrifying? That terrifies me. What if Jacob kills me because our house is a mess? I told Jacob, if you ever come home and the house is a mess, you don't have to kill me. You can just divorce me. <laughs> What's up, Jacob? Are you I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to Ashley about this guy who killed his family because his house was a mess. He thought I was yelling for him. 
Because I was in that high pitched shriek, that high pitched shrieking noise. Right, you getting excited about messy houses? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I feel for summer though. I mean, like, I get it. Okay, I don't get it. I don't get it actually at all. Yeah, I was gonna say, take that back. You don't get it. <laughs> no, I don't get it. Uh, she was a stay at home mom, twenty two years old. She had a three year old and a four year old. If Kelly Holland went into that marriage thinking that he was going to come home from work every day with a picture-perfect, pristine house, what kind of crack was he smoking? Well, he had no kids. So he did not understand that they are little hellions that make your house a mess 24-7. Okay, but they were dating for like eight months prior. Had he never been to her house? Did she like clean it perfectly every time he came over? I don't know. All I'm saying is I was messy before I had kids. So it's unrealistic for my husband to think that our house is going to be clean all the time. It did terrify me, though, as I was, like, watching. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I haven't heard this, the whole story, but I do recall of a man killing his wife in the family. Over the messy house. Yes. But I wonder if he really didn't mean to kill the kids. I just don't know if I buy that. I don't. At first, I didn't think he did. But then when I found out he killed her because the house was messy, I was like, he didn't want those kids without her. No, I immediately was like, that was a stupid plan. He was not trying to help the kids. If he really was trying to help the kids, he would have, like, taken them out of the house before he lit the fire. And left them on the sidewalk. Okay, but I think that if he was going to... My thought was like, okay, if he was going to light the house on fire and he wanted to kill the kids, why wouldn't he pour the accelerants outside their bedrooms? Like, he literally only poured the accelerants at the front door. If he was trying to burn the whole house down, I feel like he would have poured... I mean, have you never seen the movies where they burn houses down? I mean, yeah, but those are movies. Okay, but if I'm going to burn my house down, I'm going to have accelerants everywhere. I'm not just going to put them at the front door. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I do think that there's some truth to that. I do think there's so, there is some truth to that part of the story. I don't know. I think he was a monster. Who didn't give a crap about those kids? Now, I agree he's a monster. I agree he's a monster. But I also think if he was going to kill Summer, okay, like he wanted Summer dead, okay. Not cool. We've said it once. We'll say it a hundred times. You do not have to kill your spouse. You can just get a divorce. I wonder how mom and dad will feel about us preaching divorce on our podcast. <laughs> Divorce is better than murder. I agree divorce is better than murder, but I'm just saying, like, you do not have to kill your spouse. You can get a divorce. You can leave them. It is not necessary to kill them. But if he was going to kill her, it was really stupid to also kill Donna. Like, I don't understand why he didn't just, like, strangle Summer. Like, quietly kill her in her sleep. Donna's sleeping. Wake up the next morning. Ah! Summer's been murdered. And then Donna can take the kids. Yeah. So no, it's clear he didn't want those kids. No. I don't know. Whole thing's pretty messed up. Hey, but you know what, though? What? I don't think we used the F-bomb one time this episode. I don't think so either. Dad will be proud. You're welcome, Dad. Doing it for you. I really don't think we cussed much at all this episode. No, I don't either. I mean, I said pissed. A few times. Well, that's not really a guess word. Mm-mm. Well, that was not fun. I had a great time. <laughs> I'm just going to go eat my brownies now. 
you enjoy those brownies. Uh, we will catch you next week uh, when we cover a whole brand new case. And by we, I mean Ashley. Ashley's going to cover a case if she can get her self together. I was going to swear, but I stopped. If she can get herself together and find a case, because I don't think she's even researched. That is false. I have done all of my research. I just have to write the script. <laughs> you know what? I'm really, really sick of you flipping me off on the camera. Well, don't be rude to me. I don't want to flip you off on the camera. I've done all my research. I've written all of my notes. All I got to do now is put it together. Okay, well, as of like two days ago, you hadn't done anything, so... Well, guess what? I did a lot of crap in the last two days. Good job. What's your case on? None of your beeswax. What if it's a case I already did? I asked you about him the other day. You said you'd never heard of him. John Parker. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. John and Judy Parker. I was going to say Peter Parker, but that's wrong. No, John. Such a typical name. John Parker. Mm-hmm. You know what we didn't talk about in the beginning of the episode? What? All of our supporters. Got that listener in the UK. Ah, uh, We'll talk about him on a, our Parker episode. Yeah. And Should I... Serbia, right? Is that where we have one at? Serbia, India, and the UK. They already have, like... I want to ask their opinion. Opinion on what? If I should do a whole episode in my fake British accent. Uh, the answer will be no. Just for our one UK listener. So from the beginning of this episode three hours ago, we had nine listens on our one today. And now we have 12. Wow. Three whole listeners. I think that's pretty good. Okay, gotta get my brownies out of the oven, so... Bye. Peace out, Girl Scout. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked, where you can join one of our three tiers at the $5 level. We've got the moderately wicked for $7 a month. We've got the awesomely wicked. And for all of those high rollers, big ballers out there, we got the $10 level, the extraordinarily wicked. As a member of our Patreon, you are entitled to bonus episodes. Uh, you also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones for a direct feed of our podcast please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com great news you can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts that's right, folks. We are big time. You can now hear your weekly dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, Castbox, and Podfriend. The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is Pandora. So we'll let you know when that happens. In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your weekly, weekly dose of, of wicked. But I'm psh.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.